Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of TR Talk, where we interview leaders in their field on how millennials can fast track their personal development, get shit done, and be the person they want to be. This is Tommy Tahoe Alemo, alongside my good friend, Ryan Warner. On today's episode, we have Alex and Anna Dorr. They're the disciples of Cy Wakeman's reality-based leadership program. And you know, real quick, Alex was a pro basketball player, turned keynote speaker. He speaks to you know, nationwide. He's spoken to University of Oregon Athletics. Anna is the first bilingual Spanish and English reality-based facilitator. They offer some great insights on you know, how to stay cool under pressure, um, you know, how to resolve a fight in a relationship, the mature way, the right way. Uh, there's some, a lot of value there. I hope you guys like this one. want to give a quick shout out to John McGrath as a TR Talk fan of the week. John, really appreciate all the support you've given and hope that you are also supporting the New England Patriots as they go for their next Super Bowl run. If you'd like to support TR Talk podcast, real quick for you, share us out on social media, give us a review on iTunes, and subscribe. If you found anything that we've done valuable the last 27 episodes, you'll take the five minutes to do it. We really appreciate it. But now we'll head back to our conversation with Alex and Anna Dorr. Enjoy, folks. Alex and Anna Dorr, welcome to the show, guys. Happy to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so we have, um, for the audience here, Alex and Anna work on Cy Wakeman's team. And Cy joined us on episode 13 of TR Talk and has been one of our most downloaded episodes. We love Cy. Um, so we recommend people listen to that one as well. Um, but Alex and Anna, we see you guys on social. You're traveling the world, giving keynotes. And we want to start there. You know, what is the story and what are you guys talking about in some of these keynotes around the world? Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Yes. Yeah, so I'm Alex here and the story's kind of funny. We are traveling a lot. Size message really resonates with a lot of leaders, a lot of employees. It's, it's a breath of fresh air. We talk about um, ditching the drama, actually. And so both Anna and I are speakers. And uh, if you know, someone calls and is interested and uh, they want the program, sometimes we go out and deliver uh, the programs and, and help them ditch the drama and have tools and techniques uh, to do so in their teams. And yeah, it's just been a blast. We uh, just go go wherever and we have conferences we go to as well. And it's all spreading this message um, that the average person spends two hours a day in drama. And if you can have some ways to recapture that energy and put it back towards what you're trying to do on a daily basis, you can have some big impact. So how do you guys get teams and organizations to do that? What are some of the techniques you guys use? As far as ditching the drama, I mean, there's tons of them, but we really just help them become aware of what is drama in the workplace. It's not simply people just gossiping or um, things like that that are loud. Sometimes it's if you're resisting change or if you're not saying yes to where the organization needs to go. Like if you work at a place, but then you're constantly not on board with what they're doing, uh, we, we, we help people realize that that's, that's a bit of drama. And we kind of piece that together. And then one tool, for example, is if um, someone thinks that their boss is a micromanager who treats them like a child and is, doesn't trust them and is always calling to check on their projects. We have a tool called Edit Your Story where all we know for sure is your boss called to check on a project. 
Now the whole story you made up after that is not true and it's causing you suffering. And so what we would have you do is edit your story, ask, what do I know for sure? You can even write it down. And then you cross out all that's not true. You don't know they're a micromanager. You don't know that they always treat you like a child. You just cross that stuff out. Then all that's left is the truth, your reality. And that's what sets you free. And all that was true there is my boss called to check on a project. And so the next thing you do is what's the next best thing I could do to add value? I could give them an update on the project. And you just conserved all this energy that would have been lost to drama and you got in a better mental process, and then you just move forward very effortlessly and added value. And so day by day, minute by minute, there's points where we get into these stories, and it's causing us suffering when our reality would set us free and show us right where we can have impact next. That's an example. Yeah, that's that's good. And so, you know, what really... I get an understanding of is when you guys both talk and we've listened to some of your keynotes just online is that the message that you're spreading, you have a lot of passion for, right? It's something that you truly believe. And it's something that I would imagine you're trying to live in your day to day, but you've been with on, on size team for a couple of years now. How has this message and the thought of ditching the drama impacted your day to day? I don't know. I think this is a good one. Basically, um, we just love the philosophy so much and we live by it so much, but often, you know, it's kind of like, don't really debase me, you know, when you are like cutting all of this like drama or you're in a very stressful situation or something just like happened to you and you're like, I cannot believe this, this is happening again, you know, we kind of call each other out and everybody in the organization, we always do that. And we're always like, don't really debase me, but you know, it's funny and it, it's not because we know the philosophy, we are um, really good at it. Yes, we might be expert on it. However, we're still humans and we mess up, but only daily. So it's about, yes, recognizing that, realizing that we do it and being able to become better little by little every day. Our joke is, and we say it in keynotes, is we screw this up, but only daily. <laughs> and the, the joke is, is that it's part of our human condition. And we believe the competitive advantage at any age if you're trying to get promoted or if you're a leader is the quicker you can recognize drama and get into a tool to conserve it. You're fighting against the market. Everyone gets into drama, but if you can only have an interaction be five minutes of drama, but your competition has a 30 minute interaction in drama, well, that's 25 minutes there that you're getting towards results and a solution and they're not. So we believe that's where you can conserve resources and we tell organizations that if you chip away at this with each interaction where people are getting into drama, you can change everything. And yeah. it's a huge competitive advantage. So good point there, Anna. We, and we mess it up too. We say we screw it up, but only daily. But our hope is that we are beating our competition by catching each other. Yep. And when you look at sources of drama, you mentioned the event sequence, which is so simple and something we both started to notice is that you know you walk by someone, nothing really happens, then you make up a story. Most of the time it's negative. Are there other ways that folks are catching and preventing drama in their day to day? Yeah, I would definitely say so. That's a great example that um, you know, you someone walks by, you don't say hello, and uh you make up a story, they're rude, and then you treat them rudely, and then they treat you rudely back, and you're like, see, I'm right about crap I make up. Yeah, that's a great example. <laughs> see, and it's very interesting because the truth is that as humans, when we um, have information missing, we usually tend to fill those thoughts with negative thoughts. And it's not about um, thinking positively. 
either. It is about giving the benefit of the doubt in this case. What is it that I know for sure, like we said before? What are the facts in the situation? So it's not about taking your energy to think positively or negatively. It is about just giving the benefit of the doubt because that is what a true professional is. Yeah, size helped us clarify that with our message that if you're trying to be positive about everything as well, that's still taking a lot of energy. Same as being negative about everything. It's better to be neutral. And so, well, you, yeah, you beat me. You beat me to the punch there because I was curious because the the common example, and I think it's a good one, is you walk by someone they don't say hello. All right, he or she is a jerk. I'm going to treat them rudely, and I think that happens a lot of the time. I think that's pretty frequent. But what about the flip case? Do you guys come across where it's like someone sees things so um, irrationally positive, where they they see almost too good of the situation in every stance. So if I'm a leader and I think everything's all all roses and flowers and, and sunshines, and really there's some issues there, but I'm overlooking that because the story I'm telling is that I'm doing a great job, the company's going great, when in reality there's there's some issues that need to be attended to. Do you come across that a lot? I think that's a great question. And I think that's where our message, um, if people aren't quite, if we're not presenting it correctly or if they didn't quite um, get the message, they go there. And we've we've actually really switched that neutrals probably is definitely the best place to be. Um, because if you're being super, super positive, Anna, wouldn't you say you're not seeing reality clearly still, mm-hmm. even if like if you have a story and it's very negative, you're not seeing re- the reality of the situation clearly. And so we say neutral. What do I know for sure? Um, as leaders, you manage energy. You try and um, someone comes in and says, we have three projects dumped on us. So we have three new projects. What's the next thing we can do to add value? You know, it's, it's, you help neutral, stay neutral. Um, But most times we're wired as humans to go negative. And so until we get good at being neutral, we then recommend to try and be a little bit positive, make up a better story. So it's not being you positive to overcompensate the negative. Yeah. But it's better to be neutral. Yeah. And I've always found one of the best ways to prevent something is to have awareness to it. And so you guys are mentioning a couple situations of you know where drama or um, stress, I guess, comes from. Do you do you notice a difference between the U.S. audience and the European or Asian audience when you go out there? Because I tend to think we're a little spoiled over here. We're a little ungrateful, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's the same across the pond as well. So this is an awesome question, actually, because I get this asked pretty often um, because, you know, people like Latin American countries, um, they say, well, we love soap operas. We just love drama. If you get <laughs> rid of it, then what's the fun part of work then? Like, <laughs> so true. But then um, when you talk to people, actually, they do understand what drama truly means. It's not about, you know yelling at each other and you know saying all of these things it is what alex was saying it is you know more like the resisting change part the putting your preference over the potential of the organization like all of these things and i have found that regardless of the country everybody has drama and this is interesting because it doesn't matter if it's in europe it doesn't matter if it's in latin america in the u.s regardless of what it is, and also regardless of the generation. Like, there is drama everywhere, and it is about that. It's about being conscious about it and having these tools and techniques that they can help you to overcome it or at least to reduce it every day. But do you see it being different with, you know, in the 
in my company, at least, it seems like there's a lot of drama over jealousy and who's getting what. Uh, I'm in sales, so there's a lot of that. Um, do you see different types of drama, though, in Europe or Latin America than the U.S.? Mm, not Nothing specific, I guess. Um, in Latin America, I've talked to a few clients that machismo is a big thing. Mm. So all of this judgment, but... Overall, they are all the same. The sources of drama, they are all in the biggest scheme. They're all the same in every country. Yeah, I think um, if you go macro with this, what we've found, it's kind of with the millennial topic is people say that in, in our research, we actually found just so you're, for the audience that drama has gone up in the last 20 years from two hours a day per person to two hours and 26 minutes a day per person. And most people go, oh, my goodness, it's because of the millennials. And what we found in our research is it's not about the age of the human, it's about the human condition. And it's overcoming this human condition that we have where, um, for example, the going gets tough. When we're overwhelmed, we're asked to do more with less. And that happens a lot in a sales role. Most people step down instead of step up, and then they blame their circumstances. They step down and then they say, you know, if only we had better technology and I had better leads and they gave me all the tools I need to do my job. If only I had all of that stuff, then I would be top salesperson. And then they take that list and that they need and they usually go to their leader to try and um, get that list changed. And then when the leader can't change that list, because oftentimes it's impossible, then they um, it gives them more reasons and justification to disengage and have excuses why they're not hitting their results. And then it leads to more kind of quitting. And this is part of the human condition we have. And so as people get more aware of that every single day, we're just trying to overcome our human condition to be able to step up instead of stepping down. And everybody I has that it- across cultures, that human condition. Yeah. Well, you're you're an athlete, Alex, and on, I don't know if you played sports growing up. Both Tom and I did as well. But I think it's you know if you haven't gone through some serious challenges as a youth, whether it's in sports or in uh, acting, whatever it is, you know, even you know acad- academia, you know, you don't have that mental toughness or that grit to push through those situations. So I just wonder how how that plays out um, in some of the organizations you see, whether it's hey these folks are. Um, they haven't been challenged or you know, they haven't you know, pushed themselves to the limits because I think that's a big part of it is that folks, you just give up too soon or get frustrated and then start blaming others rather than taking accountability and making something happen themselves. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, it's a big part of it. I mean, I learned a lot of lessons from from sports and you you see it's just like <clears throat> the workplace in a way. I mean, um, when teams aren't doing well, usually you blame the coach. And if you bring another coach in, then we'll be perfect. And then you, a new coach comes and you guys still aren't doing well. And then finally, it takes a while to look at, at yourself. And there's so many lessons I have um, taken from sports with that. But what I've found is is there's these tried and true things um, about the human condition. And, I, and you talked about being able to, to overcome and in our philosophy, most people are, are thinking they need to persevere and they need to have um, all this persistence. They need to really get down in their stuff and overcome everything themselves. And they think that's the way to succeed. But in the new world, what we found is you don't need to be persistent. You need to be resilient. And so once you're all in on something, then you need to be resilient. And that's not about getting into your own head and really focusing and muscling through. It's about looking up and out 
and having a huge network of positive, good relationships. So if you're stuck on something, then you can look up and out and just crowdsource something. Maybe it's on Twitter. Maybe it's um, a network you're a part of and say, I'm stuck here. What's your one best tip to overcome? And then you'll get a list of 100 things from people if you have a good network about how you could overcome that obstacle. And what I used to do you know, as an athlete and as a worker is you just would get persistent. And I could think of like three or four things that I Googled to overcome this obstacle. But now that I've really gotten a big network going and I really reach out early and often, I'll get a list of like 35 things I can try to overcome that obstacle. And then boom, I try all those things. And what I'm doing here is walking you through our accountability model. And that helps you really get the results you want and actually um, stay, you know, stop from just giving up and blaming your circumstances. It keeps you on that path to try and um, stick to your commitments. And so that's another tool we talk about um, that most people are not aware of. They think they need to muscle through everything and grind. But we know that the most the most highly accountable people actually have big networks and they reach out for help early and often in this crowdsourcing yeah. technique. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Yeah, well, I, I think we've we've seen it and we've we're trying to do do that more. We're trying to do it more uh, frequently, but I think naturally, uh, Ryan and I both, I'll speak for him, that we that we <laughs> we're a little hard headed, and you know we are you know confident think that we can handle things when you know if something that we would figure out could take four days, we could maybe figure it out in a day if we asked the right person for help. So I think that's something that a lot of people have have trouble with, and on the same or a similar token, I'm curious about stress in the workplace, right? I mean, you talk about uh, we're at almost two and a half hours a day on drama. I think it drama and stress, I don't know what the causation and correlation is there, but people are stressed out. And I would assume that that is, you know, your work is, you know, lower quality because of it. And, you know, I assume that there's an angle to be tied to the story I'm creating. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Um, is leading people to be stressed and you know getting into health issues and stuff like that. So, do you guys have a um, a message or anything you you share with about stress? Um, yeah, definitely, because uh, that is a shocking number that two and a half hours a day um, of of drama, and it is definitely correlated um, to stress. I think I want to share a story when we were hiking in Spain, and and this will really help the the share listeners. away. Yeah. Um, the, the crazy thing about most of our stress is that it's, it's a story we've made up. It's self-imposed. We actually say suffering is almost always completely optional. And let me give you an example. So Anna and I, when we just got married, um, I got to visit her family in Spain and, uh, um, my Spanish is, what would you say? Subpar. I'm getting better. <laughs> Maso manos. It's Maso Anna, manos. Anna, shoot us straight. How, how is it, Anna? Shoot us straight. Yeah. <laughs> she's nice. So we are, I'm over there and it's, a, it's, she's lives in the South of Spain and it's just absolutely spectacular. It's gorgeous. But, um, when we're talking around the table, my Spanish is not good. It's very stressful. I'm not sure what's all being said. I sweat a lot in that situation. It's just tough. And one of these days, uh, we got some free time to be together. And we we're going to go hiking on this beautiful mountain behind her um, house. And I was so excited for it. The birds were chirping. The weather was perfect. Not a cloud in the sky. We're in love. Like you guys can just imagine how beautiful this hike would be. And um, so we had set out on this path and we're going up this path together. And again, it's so beautiful. And we get halfway up this path and there's something squiggly in the path. 
there's something squiggly and you guys know it. I think, oh my goodness, it's a snake. And my absolute happiness just went to misery. I go, yeah. Anna, if that snake bites me, are you going to suck the venom out or am I? And you said that? Yeah. And I go, do you want me to grab this like twig thing and wrap it around my leg so it doesn't spread to my heart? And if we go to the Spanish hospital, um, does my insurance cover this? And if I can't, if you're not in there, Anna, are they going to like amputate my leg? Because I can't even speak the language. And did we lose a war against Spain? Are they still our allies? Like I didn't read the history books. So I'm just losing my mind, right? I was. You went down a spiral, man. <laughs> and so we get, we can. I have to urinate more, guys. I am sweating. We're struggling. So we know we have to continue <laughs> on. I, we get a few steps forward, and we realize the squiggly thing wasn't a snake at all. It was just a rope. I ask you guys, story. how many of us um, turn ropes into snakes? Was um, what caused my suffering mm. the rope or my thoughts about the rope? Mm. Do you tell that story in keynotes? It's a good we one. We tell that in keynotes. It actually happened to Sai as well. And so it's a common thing that happens to a lot of us, um, yeah. whether it's a spider, whether it's 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 the idea that every day we're turning ropes into snakes. And so we bring that metaphor back to the workplace is how many times are you turning a rope into a snake? Or no, it's if you're a leader. Oh, yep. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that's it gets back to. How often are we making things up in our head? And once we start believing that something's true, we start acting like it. And that can be both good and positive. Yeah. It's certainly a consistent theme. Now, what about when you talk to athletes? Because I want to get into that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is it similar where you know the coach isn't playing me, so I want to make up a story? Or, or what about if it's an individual sport where you know, you're about to go out and perform? Like, how do you, What commonalities do you see with businesses and sports? And what's the messaging there? For both, my big punchline that I've really come to from really practicing this philosophy is, um, and it's it's in the absence of drama, our natural state is really being in the zone. Hmm. Now, let me break that down. In in same in, in the biz in the workplace is in the absence of drama, everything you want out of your employees is their natural state. Whether it's problem solving, whether it's collaboration, whether it's innovation. That's their natural state once the drama's gone. And so all of our training helps chip away at this drama to reveal people's natural state. And so I believe that if you're in stories about your coach that they don't think you're that good and they're trying to play their son over you or there's all these stories you have, then you're never going to be able to play, be in the zone and you're not going to play your best in whatever sport it is, whether it's individual or team sport. And so it's a huge correlation. If you can check your stories, if you can say yes to the strategy that the coaches said and not say, no, here's how I do it. You say yes. And here's how we can execute that. It's, it's the same tried and true competencies that will one, keep you happy and playing your best and two, um, help you be noticed by your coach. If that makes sense. Yeah, it it does. And it actually reminds me of we had Michael Gervais on a few episodes ago, and he's the sports psychologist for uh, some of the U.S. Olympians and for the Seattle Seahawks. And he always says that there's no big moment. So if it's the first day of preseason or it's the Super Bowl, you should treat it the same. And the story you're telling is there's millions of people watching me. There's this, there's that. It's the biggest moment of the game when reality Every you know, every moment should be the same. Every minute should be the same, and you should be calm. And I think that's that ties back to you of 
you're just telling yourself the story that it's a bigger or more important moment or um, you know, maybe you're getting treated unfairly by the coach or anything like that. So it's all in our heads is really the tie that I see between both you and, and what Michael was sharing with yeah, us. Yeah, he's exactly right. Your nerves, your stress doesn't come from your reality. It comes from the story you make up about your reality. Your reality is you have a game at 7 p.m. Now, your stress comes from we have a big game at 7 p.m. against our rival that the recruits are at and it's going to change my whole career and I'm not going to be able to go pro without it. See, that's the stress. The reality is you just have a game at 7 and that's neutral. Got it. Yeah, I think that's powerful. And I, I wish uh, when I was playing in college that I, I had some of these conversations, not when I'm <laughs> washed up now. But um, <laughs> still got the tennis rackets. Yeah, I got them there. They got some dust on them, though. Let's break them back um, out. Anna, yeah. Anna, you can jump in here. But I think since we've been practicing this philosophy for three years, if you really sit with it, You'll never find a place if you really edit your story that your stress isn't caused from your story. From your story, every time. Whenever we are talking about the situation that, you know, happened to us or, you know, um, we always say, what do you know for sure? And we're like, oh, so true. I'm doing it again. It'll tick you off. But if you sit with it and and you welcome it, it'll blow your mind every single day. And sometimes you are so caught up in your story that you think that everything is true. So then we still have to ask this question. We know we ask, you know, um, so you right now are frustrated because of this situation. Your um, your leader called to check on you on your project or something like that. If someone, if your, if the same leader would have asked the same question to another coworker, will that coworker have the same feelings that you do? Good point. If they don't, that's a diff, uh, that's a good way for you to know that then you are caught up in a story. <laughs> yeah, right. You even heard where someone's like, for five years straight, my colleague has never given me a project on time. That they that could be a story. But then what we would even flip that is, it sounds like the reality is. They're never going to turn a project in on time. What could I do anyway to still be able to be successful in this initiative? Some people don't even realize that if someone's not changed for like eight years, they're doing the same thing. It seems as if that's your reality. So let's embrace that. And what can I then do to be able to um, still be successful in this reality. And that's super powerful because then it doesn't matter how unreliable someone is. It never matters about any of that. You then have the way to be empowered, I guess, because you can now succeed anyway. That's a little subtle change that it, did you guys catch that, that I think that's even freeing for your listeners. If you can, if you have someone that's always frustrating you, it seems if it, as if that's your reality and then how can you succeed Ooh. anyway? So how can you change your response? You know what they're going to do. Yeah. How can you change your response? I got to I got to know this is off off topic a little bit, but you you folks obviously you work together and and you're married and you're sharing the same philosophies. Do you ever get into a point where you're getting frustrated with one one another and then one of you is like, "Now let's look at the story here." And let's, you know, cross out what's fake and you use that kind of stuff like when you're when you're arguing or anything like that. I got to know. Because we love you guys. We give the honest answer. And yes, that can be an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I love it. And sometimes, you know, we have gotten out fast enough that we edit the story in our minds. But sometimes, you know, we're still humans and we're still like have our egos come out and we are like, no, I know I'm right on this. So we go, okay, write it down. (laughs) 
type it out on your computer and then you will see. If you type it mm. out, then you truly get to see it from like a paper or from a computer. So then you really realize, oh, yeah, I guess now that I read through it, it is true that I was caught up in a story. <laughs> yeah, we we always we do have this happen. And um, it's such a good question, but it's it's just part of it. And uh, in the end, another powerful question we help people with if, after we give them all of our techniques and they go, you know, Alex, but we I'm so right about this. Like at work, I'm right that this is what we need to do. And I'm right that they're wrong. And then we just ask another question that helps people um, get into self-reflection. And we're like, would you rather be right or happy? Because and, being right, at the end of the day, being right is just a consolation prize. Yeah. And so once you kind of, um, even if you are right, you get over the fact that being right's the consolation prize, then you can still look for another way to add value if it's not quite working in that moment. And we, I think we have that same thing. Yeah. I think that's eventually where we get, where yeah. if we are in reality basing ourselves or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Um, it's also like, okay, we, we, we need to move on. And another thing that usually happens, not only just because we are married, it's like, you know, this happens to us, but only daily, like we said, is when the going gets tough, when we are sometimes asked to do more with less, like we usually tend to like step down pretty quickly. <laughs> like um, yeah. it's another human condition thing that I think everyone experiences almost daily. So that's mm-hmm. another big thing. Yeah. Got it. Well, I, we had to ask, and and I think that's it's valuable. I think more relationships should probably go on that same philosophy. Um, so we're going to, we got a couple minutes left. We're going to switch here to a quick rapid fire session for you. A couple quick questions um, before we wrap this thing up. So uh, one from myself is, you know, I'm curious. You guys give, uh, you know, great advice on you know the mental processes you have. Um, I'm curious in your field, what type of bad advice do you generally hear? Oh, what would you? You got to li- You might need to limit it to one. I might hear a lot. So one of them that I'll say is one of the biggest ones. It is you have to let people vent. Let them come to you. Let people. If it's like you as a leader or as um, you know, as your friends, whatever it is, just let people vent because that feels good, and you let them say whatever they need to say. And we say, well, no, because then you're going to be in this meeting for for a whole 45 minutes. You sometimes don't come up with an outcome, anything to do from that situation. So you're like, okay, so then what can we do next to add value? See, if you, instead of having that whole conversation for 45 minutes, talking about probably things that didn't even happen in reality, things that you think they're true, um, we ask, um, you know, um, a good question to ask with that is like, what would great look like? Like if you're venting right now, it's a question that interrupts all the venting, gets people into self-reflection and shows where they can add value. And so venting actually begets more venting. Side jokes that venting feels good, but so does crack cocaine. And it's not a sustainable. <laughs> not that we know from experience. but <laughs> not, not that we've tried, but it's what? if you look at the research, people are telling people to vent and it has some of the same effect. Mm. You, you make a neural pathway that um, to itch it, you have to itch it with more negativity. Yeah. And so all these leaders have been saying you need to let people vent and it actually leads to a ton of drama in the workplace. It's a poor mental process yeah. that leads to emotional waste. The one I wanted to add quickly is that you can motivate or inspire another 
if you look at the research and the psychology, you cannot motivate or inspire another. You can do some things to kill it, but people make their own choices about motivation. Yeah. Buy-in's a choice. Engagement's a big thing in the workplace is a choice. And we have all these organizations trying to buy people's love when I didn't know if you guys were going to give us all the tools we needed. I didn't know much about this podcast, but we still chose to buy in and say yes today. And it's a choice. Trust is a choice. So those are some big ones that we see out there that um, is off base. And we're glad that you're on here. I got I know Ryan has a, a question, but I'm going to cut him off on the highway here. And you mentioned, uh, <laughs> you mentioned something a minute ago saying, uh, you know, what would great look like? And it, it really reminds me of uh, Tim Ferriss. He asks a lot of really in-depth questions for journaling. And that's something that I've, I've tried to get into recently inconsistently. But do you guys do that? Do you guys do any journaling yourselves or you recommend that to some of the people you speak to to help get your thoughts out in a more uh, constructive way than venting? Yes. Journaling is huge. And all of our tools actually are getting things on paper. The edit your story we talked about is writing it down because this is huge. When it's in your head, um, it's your ego will spin it. And this is the creator of all stories. It judges. It will spin it and put it back in your favor and paint you as the victim or the conqueror in every situation. And so to bypass that ego and be in your brain that's most open and collaborative and innovative, you need to be writing things down. And that's how we can see it in reality. Because like if I'm about to judge a coworker, for example, and I'm going to write down in front of me that she is an absolute idiot and she has no idea what she's talking about and she can't manage her way out of a paper bag and she needs to be fired. Just when that's in your head, you'll say that stuff. But if you write that down, it's very hard to write that on paper because you're like, that is sounding a little bit ridiculous. And writing things down gets it conscious and visible and helps get it out of our heads where our ego likes to spin things and add a lot of judgment and um, assignments of motive. And so journaling helps you get more in reality. And all of our tools we teach in our training have leaders write things on paper. So the meeting isn't everyone just talking about it around the table and yelling at each other. It's looking at how to solve it in reality, if that makes sense. No, it does. It definitely does. And a question for me, and I'm always curious about people's routines, you know, all the things we've read about your speeches is that they're very positively, very positively received. I'd love to know what's your routine when you're going on to speak to a couple hundred people, you know, three hours out, four hours out. You want to start, Anna, with yours? Okay, I'll I'll start with mine. Um, and we can go whole plane ride over and whatnot. Let's do that. Let's do it from when you leave. You're a traveling man. Yeah. I like to look at my slides, tons of nerves. Um, you're constantly second guessing and just, you have your notes from the thing. You're trying to figure out what will be most impactful for their needs. And then I would say before in the morning, some nights, if it's a keynote, barely sleep at all for me. Yeah. Every Um, time. (laughs) Sweats, um, just, just nerve, just second guessing, just constantly trying to edit your story, meditate a bit to see what, where that feeling's coming from to realize it's, it's, it's something outside of you. And then right before, it's like, I don't even know how to explain it. Stomach turning. Um, you're just wondering all of these thoughts. Are they going to like it? Are they going to 
Um, is someone going to throw something at you? Like you have all these crazy things happen um, because we're being honest, honest with your audience. I think we both get um, a little bit of the the poos, the, the, the got to go to the bathroom really bad. And then that moment right when you hit stage, though, it's like, boom, it's like it, it really opens up and it's like bliss. And all of that prep really, really helps. I think you've had some similar yeah. situations. For prep, though, um, I'll say probably, yes, meditation. Um, yes, to like relieve some of that stress that you may have. <laughs> and also, um, I say another big one for me is to visualize. So to visualize how I think the presentation is going to go. And then um, usually that will calm me down too. Yeah. And then the last piece I wanted to add with that is... One thing I've learned is that our philosophy really activates high accountables, um, not people that aren't in a victim mindset. And so when we speak, we are we know that there's going to be about 10% of the audience that absolutely hates our philosophy. And most times it's people in a low state of accountability, but it just lights on fire the people in your organization that are in a high state of accountability, which leads to happiness and impact. And so we actually know going in, there's going to be some people that very much don't like our speech. And most people try and speak and have everyone love it. And you're never going to do that if you have a true um, message that um, activates high accountables because the same leadership behavior won't please a high accountable and a low accountable at the same time. You're always going to be ticking someone off. So your message really shouldn't please everyone all the time, if that makes sense. So that's been something I've learned that's helped with prep. And when you guys are adding it, say there's a keynote at Friday night, are you focusing solely on the keynote all day Friday or are you doing other things throughout the day? I mean, if I have a keynote on Monday, the nerves will start on Saturday for me. Dang. Okay. Okay. So I, I'll be a little bit, um, I notice this, like when I'm talking to Anna, there'll be times where she's in the middle of a sentence and I, my brain just goes boom into like running through my speech. Mm -hmm. It's a very tough thing as a speaker. So many people want to be speakers. And I try and give them the reality that this is not always the glam, amazing life. It is a lot of you being distracted because you're running through your speech. You're trying to get your intro down. You're trying to, do you have that too, Anna? Yeah, definitely. You'll like check out. You'll be there, but you're not there. It's a huge thing where you have to work on your presence yeah. with your family, mm -hmm. with your friends when you have a speech mm -hmm. coming up. And then last question on this, then we'll then we'll wrap this up. Do you know what you're going to say on each slide or you know a subject you're going to say and just let it flow? You want to go, Anna? So usually I'll say with our clients, we usually have a prep call before with them. So we have mm -hmm. a very good understanding of, you know, what are some of the struggles the company is going through or what are some of the things um, they need us to talk about. So we usually know, have an idea of what we're going to say. Mm -hmm. um, Pretty much the message, it is the same one, regardless of the industry. But we um, talk about different examples, so we say the message in a different way. But we kind of have the general idea, and then we just kind of build through it while we are speaking. But we, I think in Alex's and my case, we um, pretty much prep for almost every presentation. Like, at least, you know, the day before we look at the slide, we make sure that everything makes sense. Because again, the message is the same one. So it's not like you have yeah. to prep a whole different thing yeah. every time. <laughs> the pillars are the same. Then you might change the story a bit. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you know what you're going to say on each yeah. slide. Yeah, that, that's great. And I think the, the preparation that you're saying is important for anyone, um, regardless of their job. I think the more you can prepare and be ready for a situation, you know, the better you're going to be able to perform. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of admiration for what you guys are doing, the message that you're spreading. Like I said before, 
you know, I really admire just how passionate you guys are. And you, you could tell just by talking to you that you're, you're true practitioners of it. Um, and, you know, being able to, to have the, the guts to go on stage and do that. So we, we love it. And um, one last so, question, though, for me, I got to cut Tom up. <laughs> did, you, did you get to meet Gary V? Yes, we did. We did. <laughs> we actually have video footage where we think he might have checked out my wife. <laughs> <laughs> we, might, we might have to cut this. Is this live? lost footage? We'll no, cut it's it. not live. It's not we live. Might, we'll I might box.com we'll that to you guys and you guys can give us the final judgment. <laughs> But hey, we're we're the neutral party, all right? We'll uh, we'll see. Uh, I've been, we'll let you know what the verdict. Second eyes on this, you're the ones. I want to send this to you guys. I'm like, don't say that. She did you, when I said that, but um, did you did you meet him in New York, or did you go to the interview on the Daily V? Yeah, so we went. Oh my god, New York! I was in the room, guys. Um, I don't know the energy in there, and it might yeah. just be me because I like the I like the guy, and I and I sigh gets me really fired up. But them on their Ask Gary V, the energy in that room was insane. It was a it was a crazy he, good episode. He takes a pause before he says like the intro, and then when he goes and it's live, you just feel this energy just go boom. And it was like him and Cy were both on fire, and it was amazing. I have to say that you know I like Gary, but Alex, he's like his true fan, and Alex was the one that kind of introduced him to Sai, and he goes, Sai, you have to check Gary Vaynerchuk out. Like, this guy is amazing. He's killing it. So that's how Sai kind of got to know him. <laughs> well, because she was doing the same thing as him, and I think her message was just as powerful. Yeah. I'm like, what are we doing? And that's where we really started our um, this big content push with our company. Yeah. So Doing yeah. more video yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, shook his hand, got a picture, and uh, he's just a super nice guy, as you guys probably already know. And Oh, man. Well, I was listening to the when Sai was on there, and I, you know, didn't know Sai's name going into that Gary V podcast or Daily V podcast, whatever you want to call it. And you know, I'm loving the content. And then she says she's from Iowa. I, I paused the the podcast. I found Sai's email, and I, I had to had to prospect her to get on this podcast because I'm from the Midwest as well. So I, yeah. I grew up about yeah. I grew up about three miles from Iowa. So um, I know the the love and affinity for the Iowa State Fair. So I had had mad, mad respect for that. And I had to reach out immediately. That's actually how I found Cy. But I just had to ask because we're obsessed with Gary V. Gary, you're out there and you will be on the show, my friend. Uh, get him on there. Man, we're trying, man. But, you guys will uh, get it. I, I know you'll get it. Stay on it. You'll get yeah. him. Well, hey, this has been a real, real pleasure. Excuse me. Um, any last words for the audience? And lastly, where can they find you on social media and the interwebs? Yeah, any last words, Anna, you want? Yes. Um, last words for anybody that is listening out, listening out there. Yes, please stop believing everything you think. That's the thing that I have to tell everyone because that's a huge lesson that I've learned um, with the past of the years. And yeah, it's question those stories that you have. They'll really limit you. And um, again, everything you guys desire, listeners, is your natural state once the drama's gone. And so really dig into these things that cause drama in your life and start getting into better mental processes to chip it away. And it'll really open up your creativity. It'll really open up um, some great conversations with people around you. So so yeah, guys, just ditch the drama. And then for social media. Social media, you can find us. Um, our company is Reality Based Leadership at RB Leaders. I'm at Alex Door, and I'm all over um, all of them. And I have a YouTube channel, Alex Door. And then mine is Anna with one N. So A-N-A-M as in Michael, C as in Charlie, Door. 
And I'm pretty much everywhere on social media too. Yeah. Powerful. Give these guys a follow <laughs> and interact with them. They're, they're super interactive on social media. Give them a holler. Let them know what you think of the episode, folks. Alex, Anna, thank you so much for the time. We love this thing and let's get you back on here soon. We're all in. Let us know and we love you guys. Keep doing your thing. Thank you so much for having us here. Yeah, thanks guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to that interview with Alex and Anna Dorr. If you'd like to support the TR Talk podcast, if you found any value in the last 27 episodes that you've shared with us, please head on over to iTunes, give us a listen, share us out on social media, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. It takes five minutes. It means more than you could imagine. On the next episode, we are heading to talk to Colin Nanka about health, wellness, and running ultra marathons, baby. Till then, out.